you would please join me. We thank you again, God, for this time. We thank you for allowing us to gather this morning in peace. We thank you for the opportunity to go over your scriptures, for having access to them. And we just put this time in your hands, Lord. I ask you that you may clear our minds and our hearts, that you put your words in my mouth, and that you take away anything that is not coming from you. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you, as Tab mentioned, for this partnership that you're allowing. I trust that you will do great things with both churches. At the end, we're part of the same church, and we're edifying your body, and we, our purpose is to glorify you. So we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the title for today's message is Don't Hold Back. And it's going to be based on Isaiah 54, chapters 1 to 5. And I didn't do it before, but I would like to apologize if I say some weird words or mispronunciate some things. So sorry for that, but I, I, I tried to do my best with this translation, but there are some words that are a little too difficult for me. Uh, so, so if I start to go too bad, I'll just switch to Spanish and then... <laughs> Thank you. I, I do like how Tab says Comunidad Cristiana del Tai. That's, that's a very good Spanish. So, uh, so thanks for that. So if you please join me, let's go to Isaiah 54, chapter 1. The word says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who never were in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. So I would like to start by telling you a little bit of what God has been doing in my life, how he has been working in my heart, which is totally related to this message that we will go over today in this part of the scriptures, not to hold back. So I'll, I'll try to do this in five to ten minutes and talk about what he has done in me in the last three to four years. So back in 2014, I, 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 I'm not even sure if I told Tab this story, but back in 2014, during a Sunday like this, uh, like we're here gathered today during worship, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord has spoken to me in almost an audible way a very few times, and I guess I can count them with one hand. So that was one of those times where I, I could almost tell as if he were next to me, and he said, you're going to be a pastor. So with all due respect, that was not something that I had the slight interest in pursuing. Uh, I, I didn't even feel capable of doing it, and I did not even have half of the clue at what, what it takes to be a pastor. 
So I've heard some things from my pastor. I've been in some meetings, but this is beyond <laughs> what, what we usually think. So, so I honor Tab and I honor every pastor that, that serves the Lord. So therefore, because of those reasons, it took me like six months just to digest that calling or that, that word that I received. Why? Because I was honestly afraid to seek God and have him confirm what he told me, even though it was so clear in my flesh, I was afraid to seek him for his confirmation. So six months went by, uh, the Lord, in his patience and because of his grace and, and mercy, he was revealing to me in a very uh, lovely way that I needed to spend more time seeking his confirmation, not his confirmation, seeking the path that I should follow. So it, it, it's to me, it's amazing how God uses whatever means he pleases to talk to his children. So one day when I was uh, commuting to work, I heard on the radio the uh, testimony of David Jeremiah, who's a pastor here in San Diego. I think it's the Rock Church, I believe it's the name. Uh, and he was saying how when he was in college, his ultimate goal was to become a radio host. So he was doing an internship at two uh, radio stations, I believe. And all of a sudden, God told him, that he should go into ministry. That didn't make sense to him. So when, when he started telling that story, I kind of related to that story. So I kind of increased the volume, right? So let, let me hear what he has to say. So not to make the story long, at one point, David asked to his audience, I guess, and he asked himself, are you willing to do whatever God is asking you to do? And my answer was no. It just broke me up because... More than two years back, I have told God that my life belonged to him. And I was finding out that that wasn't absolutely true. So uh, my mind started to change. I started to seek God and to have that path uh, clarified and which steps I should follow. So during this process, I was very much in communication with my pastor. But starting that point, moving forward, we started to do weekly meetings and I started to study some theo theo theological theo theology materials. And uh, so basically I was trying to prepare myself. My feeling was, and because I guess I, because of tradition, that if you're going to be a pastor, it has to be a full-time job. So I told the Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I was having a very difficult time at, at, at work during that specific period. So I told the Lord, if this is you telling me that I need to leave my work behind or, or just leave it alone and then I can focus uh, on your calling, I'm willing to do it. Uh, I have two young kids. Uh, we have all the responsibilities that a family has. But I had peace with saying that. I knew that God would, in whichever way he wanted, uh, would, would supply for our needs. So I resigned. I wrote my resignation letter. I gave it to my boss the following day, and to my surprise, uh, my boss did not accept the resignation. And I was very surprised because things were very bad. I honestly thought he was going to welcome it with a smile, but that wasn't the case. So how I interpreted that from God is that that wasn't the path that he wanted me to take. He, for whatever reason, he wanted me to continue in my current job and at the same time find out how I should follow this calling. Later on, uh, I guess a year later, this is at the end of 2016, uh, my, my pastor and I, Mario, 
we started praying. We started uh, asking God what was going to be the next step that I should follow. Uh, we, we got confirmation that it was time for me to step in front of the church and start preaching his word. So I did that for the first time in April of last year. So it's almost one year, a little bit over a year, I believe. And I've been doing that every six to eight weeks approximately. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled and, and, and grateful on how God has worked in me, the effect in my family, and, and how everything that he has done throughout the last 10 years total, it, it, it has prepared me to be able to glorify him better. So that, that encourages me, and, and, and basically that's where I'm at at this point. Uh, just a little note on, on that, uh, pastor full-time or not full-time, in the last year or so, my pastor's pastor, uh, I've had a couple of, of meetings with him, and we, we came to a, a, not conclusion, because this is not about conclusions, but the Lord was showing us how he wants, and, and he has showed this because of that example that I gave you with my job, what I'm doing right now at work, how he wants me to be kind of a pastor in my workplace. So it's not necessarily that I'm going to be inside four walls. So for me, that was, I had to break my own thoughts and my own uh, patterns, but I had to be open. And if that's what God wanted me to do, and, and it's not completely confirmed at this point, but I'm following steps in faith for him to confirm that. So, uh, so there's where I'm at that point, and I'm still seeking God for, for, for him to reveal what's next for, for my family and myself in order to serve him as, as we should. So uh, that's, that's part of, of our, uh, my story, I guess, over the last few years. And I'm a pretty good example of how I was holding back on what God had for, for me. So uh, I thought it, was, it would be uh, somewhat convenient just to mention that. So let's, let's go back now to uh, the scriptures. And let's briefly go over these five verses uh, that, we, that we just read and see what God was telling the nation of Israel and what he's telling us now. After doing that, that uh, brief summary, if I may, I will then focus on some practical ways for personal application into our lives. So in these verses, Isaiah was comparing the nation of Israel with a barren woman, as we read it. So in those times, a barren woman was someone that almost had no purpose in life. Why? Because she could not have children. They could not bear fruit. Uh, they were subject to humiliation. They, they were subject to shame. So this tells us that Isaiah, or God, was talking to a unproductive nation, to a desolated nation, a nation that was, had been humiliated or would be humiliated, and a nation, most importantly, from which God had hidden his face due to their sins. However, in the midst of their desolation, God brought a word of hope to them. God wanted to tell his people that despite the storms and the tribulation, he would do big things with them. That despite the circumstances, there would be a time of restoration. And the Lord needed his people to be prepared. They had to broaden their thinking. They had to change their mental patterns because great and good things would come their way. I'll read verse 1 again. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. 
this is one of, of, of those difficult words for me. As Alec Modier, Modier, I don't know how you pronounce that, says, this song symbolizes entering into a blessing provided by another's efforts. This singing in verse 1 symbolizes entering into a blessing provided by another's efforts. Whose efforts? The previous chapter, Isaiah 53, basically discover, discovers, describes how God gave his only son in sacrifice because of our sins, because of our transgressions, and how by doing that, he would allow us to have a new life in him. So that is a, a beautiful chapter, 53. Right after 53, we see this, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. So we're entering, or the nation was entering into this blessing provided by someone else being Christ. And of course, we have those same benefits. What the prophet is saying in this verse, in the first verse, to the nation of Israel, and we can say to the church today, is defying to us. He's basically saying or telling them, do not let your condition or external circumstances limit your internal joy. Do not let your condition or circumstances limit your peace and worship towards God. Don't let your condition limit your expectations of what God can do through you for his glory. Again, God is asking them and asking us to go beyond our thoughts, to break our patterns and basically not to hold back. What God had prepared for the nation of Israel and what he has prepared for each one of us today is bigger than what we can see. Sometimes it's going to be bigger than what we can ask for, and we find this in Scripture. And other times it can even be bigger than what we can imagine. That's the God that we serve. Now, God's blessings won't always be what we believe or what we want for our lives. However, they will have the same or bigger value, even like in the example that I gave you, even if things don't make sense to you. The scripture tells us that God's thoughts and ways are not the same as our thoughts and ways. As the heavens are raised from earth, the same way his thoughts are raised from our thoughts. Then Isaiah, Isaiah sorry, goes on saying, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. How is that possible? How can a desolate woman have more children than that who has a husband? God is reminding us that what he's able to do in our lives, and I open a parenthesis here, if we are aligned to his will, what God is able to do in our lives, if we are aligned to his will, is going to be greater than what we can do in our strength. The Lord is telling them, I'm not just going to bless you. I will bless you more than what you could think it's possible. God is, was telling them, and it's telling us, to lift up our voices in the midst of pain and suffering. To shout for joy in the midst of uncertainty. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. He's telling them that their joy is not the outcome of their circumstances or their condition. We know that when things go our way, 
It's fairly easy to have joy. It's fairly easy to praise the Lord. But when things start to turn around, personally speaking, I sometimes first question God. I may throw out a few complaints because of his mercy. I then may start to pray. To pray. And then eventually I may have that joy inside me knowing and having that assurance that whatever it is, if it's a test, whatever it's coming my way, it's going to be for good. It's something that God has for each one of us, and it's going to prepare us for what's to come. Our joy is the outcome of knowing what Christ did for us, knowing that the Lord is with each one of us, and the things that he will do through us for his glory. We move to the next two verses, verse 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. In Spanish, I like really, I think this is a correct translation. Do not be scarce. Is that correct? Scarce? Thank you. Do not be scarce. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, in the context, Isaiah was talking about the nation and numerical growth. We can totally relate that to today, today's church even. If we're talking about corporate growth, we need to have individual growth first, spiritual growth so we can edify the body of Christ, and eventually we will start to see that growth as well. Now, God was telling them, don't prepare for a crisis. Trust the Lord, strengthen your foundation, strengthen your stakes, and enlarge your personal tents. Make room for what God is going to do in your life. Now, many people cannot reach what God has stored for them because of their self-consciousness, because of their past, because they couldn't identify or apply the gifts that God has given to them, because of their fear to fail, because of my fear of what others may think of me when they see me doing what God is telling me to do. And we may end up limiting the potential that God has given us beforehand but Jesus has already done everything for us he has removed our sins he has given he has sorry established his righteousness and he has created this amazing family that we call church which will help us edify our lives the Lord has extended an invitation to each one of us to be part of his kingdom and the only thing that we need to do is respond in faith. The last two verses, 4 and 5. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. In the same way the Lord was encouraging the nation of Israel, he is encouraging us not to be afraid or not to be ashamed. It does not matter under what circumstances you're living. 
It doesn't matter where you're coming from or what you did before you came to Christ. We are children of the Lord of Lords, the everlasting God, the Almighty. He will be the one who takes care of us. And within his promises, we know that he will be the one that opens doors that no one can shut. Now, let's go over five ways that can help us avoid holding back on Jesus. Five practical ways to respond to Jesus as he works in us and through us, again, for his glory. The first one. Let God's blessings flow. I'm referring to the spiritual blessings that were purchased by Christ's blood in the cross. For us to do this, even though it's, it sounds very simple, it's going to require faith and obedience. We'll go over two examples in the scriptures. First one, if you join me, 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 through the 19. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. I'll say this in Spanish. Joas, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The, if this is how you pronounce it, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The, Lord, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground at least five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. In this passage, we, we see how the king of Israel limited God's blessing for his kingdom. Now, Elisha did not tell him how many times he should have stroked the ground. Neither did the king know the meaning of those strikes or, or strokes. However, the king had just witnessed how God declared victory by just throwing an arrow. He should have had more faith or discernment to believe that this next action would bring additional blessings to his kingdom. Now, it can be very easy for me or for us to judge. Let's put ourselves in the king's shoes for a moment. I would think if Elisha or someone asks me to do that specific action, I would think, what difference is it going to make if I hit the ground with an arrow? I may do it once or twice. Not, the scripture doesn't tell us that there's anyone there. There may be someone, but let's assume there were a few people there. I would just hit it once or twice because I don't want others to think, what's up with this crazy guy hitting the ground with no reason? My way of thinking and my patterns would be limiting what God, what God has in store for me. Something that 
that I can see in this, in this passage is God is telling us not to be satisfied with a partial victory. If God has declared victory in a specific area of your life, don't be satisfied with a partial victory. Now, we do not fight for victory. The victory has already been declared by God. That's a very important thing to remember. We are not fighting for victory. That has already been done for us. We need to keep in mind that God doesn't have to explain to us how he is going to do his work in our lives. And this is me. We should not expect, and this is what I was expecting a couple of years ago, a sequential explanation on how he's going to do things in our life. That's not how he works. We just have to believe in him. We need to have faith again. Let's go to a second example in this same book, 2 Kings. Now let's go to chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered or revered the Lord? But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Do not ask just for a few. Up to this point, Elisha was telling the widow to prepare for something big. She told her, don't just gather a few jars. Gather as many as you can. Basically, do not think small. Don't limit yourself. Now, verse 4 continues by saying, Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her, her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is, no, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. We can ask ourselves, who set the limit? And I'm not saying this in a negative way. Because of God's grace, if this woman would have brought ten more jars or 500 more jars, I have faith that God would fill them up each one of those jars. Verse 7, she went on and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. The blessing was not only to fulfill the widow's request. Her burden at that time was, was to settle that debt to avoid having her sons be taken as slaves. However, we see how God blessed her beyond her thoughts. And now with the money that was left, she would be able to basically maintain her family. It's interesting to see that in the two samples that we see in 2 Kings, uh, the, the arrow being shot and here the woman going out and bringing the jars, both miracles were triggered because of an action. By shooting the arrow or by hitting the ground or by going out and getting the jars. 
So this may apply for us. We may be waiting for God to do something, and we may just be asking, but we need to start taking action. Second point. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged. Psalms 119 verse 32 says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. In this point, let's imagine that we need to go through a path that is going to take us to a place or a thing that we've been wanting for a few years or more than a few years. It's something that we really desire. It can be getting your college degree. It can be getting a promotion at work, maybe opening up a new business. And you have a guarantee that the path that you're taking or that you're going to take is the correct path. There is no doubt in your mind that that is going to take you from point A to point B in the most efficient manner. How would you go over that path? Would your walking pace be as slow as possible? Would you be stopping at every corner, or would you get distracted every time, every time a stranger comes to you and starts telling you stories on how that path is not going to take you where you want to go, on how difficult and long the journey is going to be? The answer is no. Your steps will be firm and fast-paced. Why? Because you have a guarantee that that's going to take you where you want to go. And you don't want to delay your arrival. The same thing applies in the kingdom of God. He has shown us the path which we need to follow to get to him and do his will. And he has given us the tools. What tools? Those gifts that we need to get to the finish line. Therefore, we should not get distracted or discouraged with the obstacles that the enemy is going to place along the way. Again, do not hold back. Do not allow discouragement or conformity to paralyze your walk with the Lord. God wants us to firmly continue walking in his path. He wants us to reach the full potential that he has already put inside each one of us so we may glorify his name. This is not for us. Third point. Look ahead to what is to come. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's possible that some of us have been told by that voice in our head or externally by someone else that we do not have what is needed to be used by God that we are not the right fit for this. That we do not have enough experience or faith to take on what the Lord has for each one of us. 
It could even be that we will never get out of the spiritual condition that we're in at this moment. It doesn't matter what others have said. It doesn't even matter what we think of ourselves. It doesn't matter where you're coming from or the things that you've done. If you have received Christ as your Savior, the Lord has said that you are part of his chosen people. We are royal priesthood. We are part of a holy nation. Now we need to keep our focus on what is ahead of us. As Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, look above the circumstances. Doesn't matter how bad things are for you. Our goal is to one day be in front of God and have him welcome us into eternity. As one of the songs says, we're citizens, well, it doesn't literally say that, but we're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of earth. In eternity, we know there's going to be no pain, there's going to be no, no death, but the best of all is that he will make everything new. Next point, number four. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Let's go to another psalm. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. The Lord is saying, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. It's possible that some of us, and I include myself, at some point in our lives or even currently, we're relying in our own intelligence or reasoning when it comes to your life plans and objectives. Or that we only rely on God in specific areas of our lives. Why? Because it's convenient for us. And we try to control those other areas. In God's grace, he sometimes allow, allows us to do that. But we need to keep in mind that we may be holding back on God's plans for our lives because we have decided to walk by ourselves and be guided by ourselves or our, our intelligence instead of being guided by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is reminding us that He is our guide. He will tell us where we need to go and how are we going to get there. Now for this to happen, we need to let go of those things that we may have not given to him yet. We need to trust that his judgment is going to be much better than our own judgment. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us through a continuous sanctification process that will prepare and transform our lives and our hearts so we may please God. The last point, number five. Keep looking to Jesus. We can find the following passage in Isaiah 61, verse 1, which is later read by Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to conform all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. What the Lord is telling us is that he wants to take away our burdens. He wants to heal our wounds. He wants to set us free from whatever it may be holding us back so we can do his will. He will allow us to focus our sights clearly to see what he has in store for our lives and the path that we need to follow. If you keep looking to Jesus, you will not miss out on what he has for you. On the other hand, the enemy doesn't want you to have a clear sight. He does not want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. In any and every opportunity that he sees, he's going to try to use it. He will often tell us that we will not be able to accomplish that thing that we've set ourselves to do for God. He may even tell us, why are you wasting your time? You're not going to make a difference. But the Lord will open our eyes and we will see beyond the circumstances. I'll ask three questions that we can... It's not reflex, I forgot the word in English, but you can meditate on. What is preventing you from responding to what God has done for you? What is holding you back and limiting what God wants to do through you? What is preventing you from keeping a kingdom-focused sight? I'll go over some brief closing thoughts. We need to remember to lift up our voices in the midst of earthly pain and tribulation. We need to focus our sight on eternity. As we said, we're citizens of heaven. In a good way, we don't belong here. Do not hold back when God asks you to take a step of faith. It doesn't matter what it is. Believe that he's backing you up. And he will walk alongside with you every step of the way. Do not limit the victory that God has already won for you. If you need to step into uncharted territory in your life, do not be afraid. Again, the victory has already been declared for us. Be confident that God's grace and power will be with you wherever you go. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to remember how good you are to us. We thank you for your grace. I pray that you allow us to feel free 
to do whatever you have asked each one of us to do. And if you have not revealed to some of us what is your purpose in our lives, I pray that you do that and that you put that desire in our hearts to seek you and seek what is it that we need to do in order to glorify your name. We know that we have a specific purpose in earth. And we want to use our time wisely. We want to rely on you every step of the way. And I pray that you take away anything that is obstructing us from knowing and feeling that you're walking besides us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.